welcome to episode 231 of Together BHA. Uh, I am joined by Adam and Robin uh, on a bit of a, a bit of a different time frame to normal, but we move, we move. Uh, it's the morning after Fulham, after a very long week uh, of football for the Albion with their games against Ajax, uh, who are now floundering at the bottom of every divisie uh, as we speak. Um, and then, of course, the, the bogey team Fulham come into town. Um, Adam, Robin, how are you feeling? How's everything going for you guys? Those of you watching with the visual medium will probably have your jaws on the floor at Robin's new clean cut uh, appearance. Uh, but how are we both doing? Yeah, all right. Yeah, I um, yeah, I think it's a good week. It's a good week. I was doing all right until I saw Robin's shaven cheeks, and now I'm a bit startled. Uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't know what to expect and nothing feels certain in life now. I know. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get straight down to it because uh, we've got a lot to go through this week um, with two games um, and both with lots and lots of talking points, uh, not least the fact that we just got our first ever European win ever in our history. So let's start right there. Uh, Ajax at home. Um, obviously, deserve has been very honest and vocal about the fact that he is going to have to rotate. He has not disappointed all year long. <laughs> um, and we've still got an injury list as long as, well, any list you can imagine, really. Uh, Newcastle are joining us on that long list of injuries, by the way, uh, which is quite funny when you think that they're literally richer than every team in the Premier League combined and they still can't handle the the rears of this European season. Um, but the lineup was pretty much, I think, what we all thought it might be uh, there or thereabouts against Ajax. So Pedro and Fati up front, uh, Gross and Gilmore in the middle, Adingra and Mitoma uh, on the right and left wing, Dunk, Van Hecker, Veltman, uh, all the Dutchies in the squad except for Jason Steele in goal. And predictably, uh, and most worryingly, I think for a lot of us when we talked last week, uh, James Milner rolled out at left back. Uh, what were you thinking when you saw that lineup? Um, obviously, there will be a fair bit of humble pie eaten from all three of us post Milner and Ajax performance because he was pretty good. Uh, but what were your thoughts prior to the game when you saw that lineup? I mean, I just thought, why? Like, this has been done to death in so many different scenarios against so many different teams, both sides in terms of trying fullback. Just, I mean, I'm with you in that to an extent it was forced. Really, the option you're left with is are you picking Milner there or are you picking um, Eagle there? That was pretty much, that's pretty much the decision. Um, and I guess Eagle having played not as much football as Milner this season. Um, I guess that's probably what De Zerbi based it on. And maybe he was just prophetic in that thinking that Ajax were just going to cause him absolutely no problems and do absolutely nothing with the ball. Um, but yeah, when I saw that lineup, I just, I was a little bit perturbed because I just think, you know, we we don't know as much about football as Roberto De Zerbi, clearly. Um, but oh, hold on. <laughs> I can't get into, I can't get into his head on James Milner as a fullback. Um, well, I, I th the part I enjoyed most was, uh, about an hour or two before, maybe an hour before the lineups came out. There are lots of rumors circling from various accounts that, that maybe have, you know, bubbles in their name and stuff. Um, telling us that Veltman wasn't going to start and people were throwing their toys out the pram and this is happening. This isn't happening. Turned out that was absolutely 
BS and subsequent tweets have now been deleted. There's been some revisionist stuff that's been going on, which has been fun. Uh, but I mean, the thing is like you look at back to what Josh was saying about the injuries, you look at the bench uh, during that game and you say to yourself, uh, you talked about Igor, but like what, what else are you really doing with that lineup? Cause at this point you have to do some rotation, right? When you look at, you know, Ferguson wasn't starting and uh, so on and so forth. But outside of that, we had Josh Duffus on the bench, like with all due respect, like it's not like you've got this, like you're not sport for choice here. So I thought it was fine. And, and as you say, We'll get into the performances, but Milner didn't have to do a lot, did he? I honestly think maybe one of us could have trotted out there at, at, at left back and done a job. So, yeah. I mean, I think the thing on Veltman as well is that I know, I know, he obviously came from Ajax, so it was obviously that that level of interest in the press. But he did the pre-match press conference with Deserby, didn't he? which generally is a pretty strong indicator that someone's going to be playing. Um, I know, obviously, with the Ajax storyline, he was the player of interest to talk to, but I still don't think he'd have done the pre-match press conference if he then is on the bench. No, but some guy with 300 followers that says he's never been wrong about a lineup said he wasn't starting, so... Well, he was also the face of the programme, so it really was as... All of those things, it just adds up and you go... It's not... The fact that he came from Ajax isn't enough of a story on its own to dominate the program and the press conference so <laughs> yeah um yeah looking at the Ajax side uh, it was actually quite a bit stronger than the team that they rolled out uh, away at Utrecht at the weekend uh, Berghaus was back in the squad he wasn't even he didn't even make it prior uh, obviously Bergwijn and Broby were up front as well um obviously uh, what's his name Sosa uh, one of their best players that they've got left basically <laughs> Um, after being pillaged in the summer. Um, there are a lot of players in that squad, in that starting eleven. that for me, I looked at it and thought, this is going to be like Athens counter-attacking hell uh, if we fall into this trap, especially with, with Milner at left back. Um, and by the time we got 45 minutes in, um, we realised pretty quickly that this was not going to be one of those days. Um, by halftime, we had 60% possession, Nine shots uh, to their one, four of them on target. Uh, and I genuinely don't think I've seen a more toothless side uh, come to the Amex this year. Uh, Luton were significantly more dangerous than Ajax were on Thursday. I mean, I thought, I thought Grimsby gave it more of a go last season. <laughs> and they lost 5-0. This was akin to West Ham at the Amex last season when West Ham were at their lowest point and they just didn't look like they wanted to play. That was what this, they looked broken, Ajax. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I think that's probably a really good point um, to make because uh, West Ham turned it around, obviously, subsequently, but I don't know when they're going to turn around in Amsterdam. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be soon enough to make it any dip better for them I think on the reverse fixture, which is Confidence great is bang on, isn't it? Because like every time they got the ball, their first, their first priority was basically seem to be either pass it back or don't lose it. Yep. Keep it and dodgy, dodgy as well, didn't he? Very. A bit dodgy. And the funniest thing is, is uh, Ajax fans mostly all over social media, like from Twitter to Reddit, like very different views on those different websites. Uh, but they, they all came to the same conclusion that they thought that was progress. 
compared to their previous performance. Wow, really? Which wow. is astounding. <laughs> Didn't they just get battered also like four days after by, was it PSV 5-2? They did. Um, and their their run is not any easier. They have got two more games between us and their next, well, they've got two games between our next game. Um, they've got Volendam and Hayron being at home. So they've got three games back-to-back at home, but there's no rest here. They've got 29th, 26th of October, 29th of October, 2nd of November, 9th, 5th of November, then the 9th of November against us. And the they game's are, in 10 days, right? Yeah. The game's in 10 yeah, days. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 10 days, yeah. Yeah, yeah it I was mean, how, uh, it's bad. That, that can it? be progress. I mean, they're obviously, they, you know, they hadn't lost in Europe, right? Two draws in the first yes. two games. Um, so, I mean, that side, they managed to score what? They managed to score three against Marseille. And they managed to score two against Athens or one against Athens. Well, it was either 1-1 one, one or 2-2. Two, two. Don't know. But certainly the first game was 3-0, wasn't it? So how on earth that team managed to score three goals collectively across those games, let alone one? I say I'm astounded that, that they think that's progress. I mean, it just shows how poor they were, how poor they had been, really. Um, but yeah, as you say, they, they, did, uh, they did draw both games. I'm not sure what the exact results were, but their goal difference is four and six. So it may well have been two, two, two draws or was it a three, three and a one, one. I'm pretty sure. sure the first one was a three, three. So one, one is probably. Yeah, so it was one, one draw. Yeah. Um, but man on the score sheet as per usual and current top scorer of the Europa league, uh, the main man, Jao Pedro himself gets a goal. Just how important is this lad going to be? in terms of just going forward as a striking unit when you've got Ferguson, Fatty and him together. He's just, I can't believe he's only 21 with how calm he is at times. Yeah. With the pressure ever. I mean, you need to keep him away. Try and get him banging chances in from six yards and out. It's, it's <laughs> probably <laughs> going to be our route to success. I mean, I think he's better in that 10 role um, than he is, than he would be as an out and out striker. But he's got that instinct of he's popping up with goals when we need it whether that's a penalty, whether it's that goal the other night. I mean, that was drifting towards that kind of, that point where it's typical Albion. You've dominated absolutely everything. You've done absolutely everything other than put the ball in the back of the net. And then a minute before half time, you know, you get suckered on the counter attack and then suddenly the whole thing starts to look like it's built on sand. So, you know, he is, he's come up with a goal there that's changed the dynamic, hasn't it? Because Ajax's game plan goes out the window. Well, we thought Ajax's game plan would go out the window. Because to me, what they were obviously doing is they were trying to they were trying to sit behind the ball and basically do to us what Athens did, which is just wait for us to piss around with the ball for ages, do nothing with it, hit us on the counter-attack, get a goal, and then go back to defending really well, and we've got no idea. And, you know, that was I assumed that was going to be their game plan. Obviously, they concede a goal, so I thought, right, second half, they're going to have to come out and try and chase a goal. But obviously, they didn't. So... That's a very long way of saying I agree with you. And Jao Pedro's got a very good habit of, you know, popping up with goals when we need it, which is very useful. Yeah, we we also like we can't forget. This is silly to say, but Ansu Fati is obviously a rental, um, and Jao Pedro is the guy for the foreseeable future. Regardless, if you're thinking about nine, ten playing on the wing, whatever. I actually really like him on the wing because I feel like he's, despite being a big guy. Very tidy with the ball, isn't he? Like, and he looks like he can always beat someone. Um, so, 
he he's the one that you've really got to invest in for the future to to to, to be a star for this team. And he's he's showing that already, isn't he? Even with his with his youthfulness. Um, I still don't know whether we've properly seen a brilliant performance where we've seen him and Ferguson play. Maybe I'm just not recalling it, but that's the one that we want to be able to unlock, isn't it? Did he come on? He came on in the Newcastle. He came on in the Newcastle game, didn't he? I don't think he started, but I think he was in, I think he came on when it was one and obviously we won three and I think, but no, I don't think it's, it's one that we've sort of lauded in theory. Uh, Yeah. I don't think we've we've ever seen them start together. Because yeah. Deserby kept wanting to start a world back with Ferguson, didn't he? And we're just, yeah. oh, God, no, stop. Yeah. Um, let's talk about... Sorry, go on. I was going to say, I'm, I'm absolutely with you on building the team around. I mean, we talked about him being Watford captain last season when he was, what, 20 or whatever. I mean, there's an argument to suggest that he could be the Lewis Dunk successor as captain. Yeah. I mean, I mean he's yeah, I mean, he's got the leadership qualities right at the at the Watford level where he basically dragged them kicking and screaming to a top half finish um so it's there in him um and the leadership qualities of taking the pen in Marseille and coolly slotting it away like he's obviously got that about him um talking about current captain fantastic uh let's give some plaudits to the pass that unlocked that defense right before halftime um it's something we see him do quite often uh, but on the European stage, it just makes it a little bit sweeter. Um, just how good was that pass uh, on Thursday to basically unlock everything to put Mitoma in for the initial shot? Just, I mean, outrageous. I mean, on the commentary, I think it was the same for Adam, but the UK commentary, they were constantly talking about him being in that quarterback role that we've, you know, that we've talked about before, just being able to spray passes around. But that is, and we know he's got it in his locker, um, but that was about one of the best examples of it. I can recall. It's, I, I, is he not like it to me? He's one of, if not the best, like passer on our team, which yeah. is a bit silly to say. Um, like I, I feel like he can just pick out passes immediately. So I sound on in the back. I, I want. I'm trying to bring up the highlights. But I don't know about anyone else, but as soon as I've watched another Albion game, the previous game, even though it was <laughs> like three days prior, I've forgotten every single thing about it. So like Fulham is just deeply rooted in my brain now. And all I can remember tonight <laughs> is just James Milner not having anyone marking him for about 90 minutes. But no, I mean, he, how many how many times has he been able to pick out those kind of passes? And, he's, and his long distance passing percentage and accuracy for every game for us this season is always remarkably good as well. He's just really good at it. Yeah, it. I mean, when you see him hold that ball, like, and they just keep going forward, and forward and forward at that point like once they're fully settled back and I actually did it constantly like almost immediately settled back like he really was playing a quarterback role in terms of just sitting on the on the center circle just picking his passes and they allow him to do it it's absolutely mental um if only his free kicks were as good as his passing well hold on he did hit the bar didn't he we're getting closer yeah we are getting closer we're getting we are getting very we are getting closer um, I did. I was right behind that, and I turned to Britt and I said, "Please, someone take that ball off of this man." And they clunked it off the bar, and I was like, "Well, I almost think, almost got done there, didn't I?" <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about this. Presumably, he must be really good at it in training. There's two scenarios. One, he's really good at it in training, and he just can't quite yet replicate it um, in the match. Or two, he's just like, "I'm the captain. Piss off." I can't imagine it's the latter. He doesn't strike me as the 
type of person is the latter. How do we not have a, um, with all due respect to him, how do we not have a better free kick taker? Like who? Well, Surely. I mean, we do. I mean, Pascal Gross has battered one in. Was it against West Brom? It was definitely he's one. He's done a few. He's, he, 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 there was one at the Amex down at the South End. I think it was either like Southampton or West Brom a couple of seasons ago where he absolutely twatted it in. Um, I mean, you'd have thought, Jal Pe- I mean, you'd have thought Jal Pedro, you'd, perhaps not Solly March. Um, I mean, Ansu, all sorts of people that you would imagine technique wise would have it in their locker. Um, but it's it's difficult it's because weird, isn't it? It, it, <laughs> it, 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 half of me is like I want it to keep going because at some point it's going to go in and it will be beautiful. So half of me is like it's worth the wait when it inevitably happens. But the other half of like the practical side is the one against I can't get the one against Marseille out of my head. Right, <laughs> you've just got the penalty, literally just got back to two two, and you've got this perfect. <laughs> position you think if someone sticks this in the back of the net given what happened in Marseille last night with the Lyon fact like if that goes in the back of the net there is going to be all-out warfare in Marseille and he batters it into the wall and basically creates for them an opportunity to nearly win it at the end so that's the trade-off is that do you wait (laughs) do we wait for the fact that at some point he's going to get a knuckleball into the top corner I don't know. It's turning into sort of the Cristiano Ronaldo sort of thing because you know he's obviously like hogged free kicks for an unbelievable yep. amount of time, and he shit at them. Yeah, Cristiano so Ronaldo is bad at free kicks, but he just likes to his silly little stance with his legs wide. Now, oh, what's he going to do? Oh, he's just going to smack it wide, like we we all know. Apart from if he's down in the farming desert, like trying to like, strike one in because you know no one gives a crap and may as well but like he's rubbish at them i just mm. hope we're not getting to a situation where it's just dunk thinks he's the second coming of like the knuckleball freak specialist and meanwhile we've got some like anti-fatty could just curl one in yeah i mean dunk you know? he scored he scored one at anfield where no one was looking and he just passed it into the bottom corner <laughs> which is a million miles away from knuckleball <laughs> into the top corner when everyone's looking and paying attention so I'm hope I'm hoping the whole theory isn't built on that one at Anfield when no one was watching. He did but, the same against West Brom, didn't he? But then they disallowed it. Oh, of course, that was in that. Yeah, that was that. Game. And that should got, never have been disallowed we got as properly, well. That, that was that robbery. was a Simon Hooper classic, wasn't? It? Oh no, Lee Mason, wasn't it? That was one. Yes, it was Lee Mason. Something yeah. else happened in that game, didn't it? Basically, retired Lee Mason that game. Something else happened. Well, and and who was the VAR at the weekend? Himself. We might be at another retirement coming up as well. I think we, we specialise in retiring, but let's not was talk it? about that. I know, but no, but let's like say it's a freak. It's bizarre that you've got so many people that can, in theory, hit the ball really well, and yet we just don't get. Yeah, we don't see anything else. But the flip side of that is how many players beyond you've got. You've basically got like players that, that come up to a free kick, and you think there's a decent chance this is ending up in the back of the net. You've basically yep. got Kieran Trippier, James Ward-Prowse. And there's not a huge number. Of, like, it is difficult. Like, it is difficult to be consistently threatening from a free kick situation. Like, it's not like there are loads of people just popping them in for fun every week. Madison. Um, I would put Madison, Madison on that, yeah. starting to become on that list now. There's a small uh, number. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just, is it worth, is it going to be worth the wait when he inevitably does score one probably when we're five nil down and it's a consolation goal so mikey in the chat asked the question and we've talked about it already a fair bit so just one word answer from all three of us who would you want to take free kicks in those dangerous areas going forward 
Gross. I think Gross strikes the ball best on the team. Yeah. I think it does. I think it's got to be Gross. So there's your answer, Mikey. Purpose uh, is not the answer that any one of us gave. Uh, We all want Pascal Gross. Oh, I think Purpose might be my last on the list. Maybe... (laughs) little Roberto Carlos style flair one but I just see his ending just rocketed into the sands yeah uh, outside an outside shout for Billy Gilmore hey I can't say enough good things about Billy Gilmore he can do whatever he wants what game was it where he nearly was it Liverpool game where he nearly scored an absolute rocket yes where it was suddenly uh, like he's I had never, a few of them where like you thought the technique is like because that's really what you're looking you're looking for I can see the logic for Dunk because obviously we did talk about his passing range and he has he's unbelievably accurate. So I guess, you know, free kick wise, you're looking for someone who's got the ability to basically hit yeah. the top, like, you know, to actually to be able to go, okay, nine times out of ten, I can put the ball in that area. Yep. And we know we we'll say it's it's bizarre because we know Dunk's got it from a long range passing perspective. So I can kind of see the logic for that. And I'm thinking vision wise, yeah, it's gotta be. You're basically looking at people who are our most accurate passers, really. Gilmore, gross, dunk. Yeah. We don't need to talk about this right now, but I do want to talk about the other set piece stuff in a bit, which is corners, because um, we can come on to it, but because it was especially apparent at the weekend as well. Yeah, don't worry. We definitely that was on my list as well. We're getting yeah. there. Um, but more importantly, uh, Carlos Forbes. Subbed off at half time, so intimidated by James Milner at left back, uh, <laughs> they had no choice but to try a different option along that side. Uh, they, I wish I hadn't started this one. Uh, they subbed on Christian Hlinson. That's yeah. what we're going with. All I know is how the way you said it is not the way to pronounce it, yeah, absolutely but, not. Um, yeah, yeah. but let's get on to the goal, uh, that came shortly afterwards, uh, and was probably one of the f- one of the filthiest goals I've ever seen live in my life. Um, like, I've seen a few nasty ones in the lower leagues that we've scored, and this one just about almost took it. Um, Simon Adingra, who has came in to deputise Solly March, essentially, he is not... He definitely wasn't expecting the amount of game time he's had, especially not on the right wing, where he never has played before he came under Roberto De Zerbi. Um and he played the full 90 minutes uh, this week uh, against Ajax. Was absolutely superb. And again, we talk about unlocking the defence. Um, he was essentially responsible for putting Ansu Fati in a position where he had the opportunity to score. Um, Fati's finish, uh, we can see why. Just a little snippet of why Ansu Fati was dubbed one of the next big things. Um, he's still so young. He still very much can be one of the next big things. Um, but that entire goal sequence in and of itself, right after half time as well, super important to get that second one because you saw any hope or dream they had just die out immediately. But just how good was that pass from Adingra and how good was the finish from Ansu Fati as well? It was just sublime all the way through. It was it really was. I mean, it's one of those, it's one of those ones where actually he's He's got the presence of mind to realise actually he doesn't need to take an extra touch. He doesn't need to mess around with it. He almost took the goalkeeper by surprise because he was able, it's the quality of the pass, he was able to basically get it out of his feet and put it in the bottom corner in effectively one motion. Which is, I mean, it's it's world class. 
nothing it, bad. It was excellent. For me, though, the Adingra ball was better than the ANSI 30 take and finish, um, which I'm not trying to disrespect Fatty because it was incredibly well done. But Adingra had to beat two. He had to juke the ball from like out of his feet to cut in from the right to put it to his left side and then to play this perfectly timed, weighted dink pass over a defender. Like it was just absolutely superb. For a guy that's, as you say, like 21 years old, wasn't expecting to have all this game time, playing essentially out of position from what he's used to, just just amazing. And but yeah, it's, it's that's all well and good if you if you've got Neil Mope trying to finishing it, and, and that's not that's not happening, right? So it's fairly pleasant to have a a, a guy that has world 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 class quality, which is what Ansu Fati has. Not not for 90 minutes, but he he has those flashes, and and we saw that. And I think the one thing I'd add is it's a little minor point, but he really enjoyed the goal as well. Like it's re- he genuinely seems to like enjoy being here. And we've had this in the past at the lower leagues. You know, we've had these kind of high profile loan signings come in who almost give you the impression that they're doing you a bit of a favor. I mean, like Robbie Savage is the, you know, is the the classic example of that. But he seemed like Ansi Fatty seems to be someone who is genuinely enjoying it. And it's not like we've taken the superstar from Barcelona and parachuted him in and he's sticking out like a sore thumb. Like, I think it's credit to Deserbi and everyone that he looks like, or well, he's starting to look like someone who's been here for a long time and looks like, you know what I mean? He's like, he's treating everyone as his equal. He's not treat, He's not looking like someone who's got a billion pound release clause and is here for a bit of a laugh. And I think his celebration um, sort of epitomised that and I'm loving it. I think it's hard not to enjoy being on a team that is as attacking as us when you play in that role. Uh, I think that always helps, right? When you get to just have fun out there. But I think I think it does come down to deserve it at the end of the day. Like they all say it too. Like it's hard not to give him credit when every player just waxes lyrical about Roberto Deserve every moment they get in front of a microphone. Um, and voice note, right? Is now the moment for his voice note. <laughs> oh, that was yeah, that was nice, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, what a far cry, right, from where we've come from, right? Like, I'm sure Hewton felt that way, but he would never have really vocalised it because he was such a different kind of manager. Mm. Um, And I think we're all very aware of how Potter felt about the Albion fan base, even before his meltdown at the Leeds draw. Um, He was never particularly fond of the entire uh, situation. Um even when he had all the support in the world, he didn't seem particularly enamoured with the Albion support. So to go to such an extreme difference again, um, with, again, like one of the most vocally, like just loving of the fan base since Poyet, really, like he's, but he's very open about it. And it's just nice, isn't it? Like it's nice to know that even though he comes from such a different world in Brescia, and has done some crazy things in totally different countries and the experiences he's had, like with the Ukraine situation and stuff, just in recent years, right? Like being in the middle of a war zone, trying to get his players out before he went out. Like he's, he's done a lot. He's seen a lot. And yet like he really gets it. Like that's wild to me that he can do that. Um, but like it's amazing, isn't it? To have a, it doesn't matter whether he's here another three years or just until the summer. Like 
it's just nice to have someone who really, really gets it. And I think it's testament to, I think as ever, everything flows from Tony, doesn't it? Like Tony's obviously given him the perfect environment to go, look, Roberto, you get on with whatever you need to do, mate. Simple as that. Paul Barber obviously looks after the, you know, the kind of the admin side of it. But I think from a football point of view, I mean, I said the same when Potter was here and I know we're biased, but I genuinely, I don't see a better working environment if you're a manager in the Premier League than working for Tony Bloom. Like, I've tried to be as objective, like, I've thought about it, I've tried to be as objective as possible. Bizarrely, maybe Eddie Howe, actually, has got the set, it's got similar at Newcastle, they seem to be letting him get on with it. But, if you are, you know, if you're Roberto De Zerbi, like, you're going to, I know he... The consequences for failure are a bit worse. There's always a risk of a little visit to the Turkish embassy, isn't there? <laughs> you know? Well, you know, you, you, you said it. Um, but yeah, I think it's, you know, I think objectively that is, you know, it's what Tony has been cultivating for the last decade. And it just happened, you know, we've talked about it. All the steps that have happened have led to us having, having De Zerbi now. But like the culture that's been created, all of that, like it's similar to you just said, Josh. How could Ansu Fati not enjoy playing in a team that's so attacking? Like, if you're a manager, how could you not enjoy managing in a culture that Tony's created with you know the success in the transfer market? Obviously, you'd have the frustration of knowing that you know your big players are going to go at some point. But if I was a manager, it's like it, and you were trying to build your perfect environment to work in beyond obviously having a blank checkbook or a bigger checkbook. I don't think there's much else you could wish for. Well, Anthony Fatty's he's got Casa Don Carlos as well. So he probably feels perfectly at home, get a little yeah. pass when he needs. Now, the, I, I do think there's some level of like importance as well, just in terms of how the mentality and the persona of the manager matches up or balances out the, the, the way the fan base and the community acts. And, and I guess what I mean by that is, we're broadly not like a crazy, rowdy, ultra-based fan fan group, right? It's it's not like you, Christ. If you look at what what's going down in in that Marseille Leon thing the other night, where they're they're freaking smashing the windows of the buses and and making the opposition coach go to hospital and get stitches, you're not going to get that in Brighton. So, in some ways, having a very very outspoken, emotional manager elevates our sort of emotion towards the club in some ways. And I, and I think that's when you go through the years of the Potter and we saw no emotion, it's almost like we end up this sort of like subdued club and you get smooth, easy football out of that. But I, I don't know, I feel like this, there's just way more passion that you get from someone like Deserby. Now, if you're managing Marseille, if you're managing Napoli and you're bringing a personality like him, well, suddenly you're creating this absolute volcano of emotion. You don't want that. You need yeah, someone yeah. more level-headed. It's a brilliant so I think point. It works perfectly for us. No, it's an absolutely brilliant point. Because if you stretch that, if you stretch this back, so obviously you've got the Potter rocks up, you know, back at the Amex having left and gets, you know, gets his ass handed to him, basically. And all of the atmosphere that comes with that. Can you imagine if that happens one cycle back? So Chris Hewton gets poached by Chelsea or somebody else and Graham Potter's his replacement. Can you imagine Potter stirring up, you know, stirring up the atmosphere to deliver something? He couldn't that? fucking stir up a soup, could he? You know I mean, it's a brilliant uh, point because actually, you know, whilst Deserby wasn't really 
directly doing anything to stir that up. The fact that his personality almost kind of oozes out into the fan base. You're like, okay, you know, this guy is like up for it. So we need to be up for it to like not do him down. It's brilliant. I'd say yeah. it's a, I hadn't thought of it before, but it's a brilliant point. Yeah, agreed. Um, all right, rest of the game, pretty chill. Really, not much to follow up on from there, yeah, other than the, other than them crashing it off the post almost immediately yeah. after the goal. Yeah. Uh, something we're still a little bit dodgy about, aren't we? Right after scoring, um, but we got away with it, uh, and from then on. They, they they did counter-attack with a little bit more purpose, but realistically, it, it didn't look very dangerous at all for the rest of the game. No. Um, and Chubrakpom came on and did, well, managed to get the, the first <laughs> offside of the game within about 30 seconds of coming on, which I quite Just enjoyed. incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it was um, incredible. I mean, the guy that you said came on at half-time, I think they said in the commentary, he's, he'd scored two at the weekend. And he did look, he looked a bit more dangerous than obviously what they'd had in the first half. And they're right back whose name escapes me, seems to be the only one that had a so, so. Yeah, kept Matoma pretty quiet. Relatively He's quiet. a... Uh, the um, Chubrakpon had zero touches as well, by the way. So he managed to get drawn offside uh, and then did nothing. Didn't even yeah. touch the ball for 25, 20, 20 minutes of yeah. football. Uh, absolutely amazing. Um, full-time <laughs> goes huge three points for the Albion. Puts us at well, I think we're now we're third. third in yeah, because it's head, it's head to head, not goal difference. Yes, so we're yep. behind. A, we're behind AK on head to head, but with some great fixtures ahead of us because Ajax are right around the corner again. Um, yep. That's that's the game you want to be playing next, right? Out of the three, you want to keep them here where they are, um, and then finishing at home to to Marseille is really the best choice right you get a home game to round off the away yeah. in Athens one is the the, the one that's going to give me emotional damage uh, <laughs> I think you're right I think it depends I think it, it if we go to if we go to Ajax and get a win then that game becomes a lot more comfortable because I think realistic looking at it I think probably I think five points I think five points well it depends if you're targeting top or going through so if you finish top, you basically skip a knockout round, don't you? Yes, because uh, it's a playoff one. round. Yeah, because yeah, otherwise, if you finish second, you get a club that's dropped out of the Champions League. But if you finish Correct. top, you then go straight into the last sixteen. I guess is that so? All Correct. right, okay. So it makes it makes finish. It's a big incentive to finish. Like, basically, want weirdly want to finish first or third. Like if we want Europe, if we want the European run to last. First or third? Well, what happens with third? Because you drop into the Conference League. So where you would have thought you'd then have a longer run, easier games, longer run, but then we'd probably draw Villa. Well, just God. <laughs> immediately get beaten. Yeah. Immediately, empty yeah. Out. yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it all. I think if we win in if we win in Ajax, top of the group becomes very much a possibility. So it will then. It dictates how much you go for it. Yep, I agree for sure. Um, any other players you want to call out for the Ajax performance in specific? You did. I know you talked about him being muted a little bit, but I actually thought Matoma was probably our best player on the pitch um, in terms of everything good 
that happened for the most part seemed to, as per usual, stem from him. And I think we've seen games where Matoma has been completely cut out of the game, whether that's because they brought someone over and just dropped deeper on the right side and just had two people on him. But I thought he was, I thought he's actually really good. I thought Milner did a decent job of opening up space for him and time and passes to him. Um, and I think in terms of like to stats to actually back that up, he had the most key passes on the team. He had the joint most dribbles, like good, good stuff happened when we got him the ball. Shocker, I know. But I think it was a good enough performance where Deserby came out afterwards, right? And was just waxing lyrical about him saying he's, he's underappreciated, he's underrated. He's, he's way better than anyone is even giving him credit for at the moment. So, um, no, I, I thought he was, I thought he was especially, I thought it was especially good. Safe to say you're about another match then? Yeah, because it was one of those ones where the opposition didn't give enough uh, grit and determination to really bring out the best of any of our players, frankly. Like, it was just yeah. broadly like a professional performance for the most part. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it was, there were certain bits of it where it just, it became like a friendly, didn't it? There were certain passages where it just like, particularly when we were tuning up, it was like, no one's heart was particularly in it. We didn't really want to get out. There was no point getting out of second or third gear. Fatu came off. It just, yeah. it became a bit, it was a bit bizarre. Exhibition. First, yeah, it was our first ever European win, but actually it became like, I don't want to say it was dull, but, you know, there was a, like the latter stages of it. It became like one of those games where you just think, just blow the final whistle now. Well, speaking like, of, which should we talk about the fact that people are, there's a lot of rage bait going around about people leaving leaving the game I mean, early. I hate that. I hate that. I, t- I mean, I get it because the transport at the Amex is absolutely woeful. Like leaving five minutes, like, Leaving five minutes before the end of the game, if you're commu- if you're travelling back, like obviously you know Josh's distance or anything like that, leaving five minutes early can have an impact of like an hour plus, a couple of more on when you get back. So, whilst I hate the concept, like it's that classic theatre example, like would you go to the movies or would you go to the theatre and you leave like five ten minutes before the end? Um, it seems bizarre, but I get it from a transport. I mean, I've done it myself, commuted plenty of times doing that and it is i get it but on scenarios where it is a historic occasion like you, you can only win for the first time in europe once right it's one of those games where you think you'd want to you'd want to soak up the atmosphere but it's particularly shit because it's the you know the way that the camera is it's the east stand yeah. that you see and the east stand is the worst for it happening being the family you know particularly a night game if you've got young kids with you and, you know, five minutes is going to make the difference between getting home in an hour or getting home in three hours. Um, I, I totally understand it, but it's, you know. It it's all the travel, though. It is, the, it is purely comes down to travel. Like 100%. It, some yeah. people just don't have a trip. If the stadium was slap bang in the middle of Brighton, the stadium would be full until yeah, right no, at the end. Yeah. But if you, give, if you give people the option. I'm still not sure it would. I think inevitably there's always going to be early leavers wherever yeah, you are who not, want not to get that edge. It's not on the scale that we get. Um, I agree. Yeah, but, it wouldn't be as visible on the TV yeah. cameras. Yeah, yeah where you're just like, it's a bit let's embarrassing. Just have, let's just have the TV cameras on the other side and then it's fine. <laughs> Don't solve it's, the problem, just mask it. Perfect. Yeah, just, exactly. yeah. You considered but, running for government. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, Any government. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's all eligible. Yeah. It is. It's difficult. It is. I mean, like, especially, and it's always worse on night games because of you know just the transport being worse. But yeah, if you knew that you could leave your seat 
at the final whistle or five minutes after the final whistle and you could be on a train, you know, within half an hour, then you're taking that every This time. wouldn't happen in America because what they do is they just concrete half of the South Downs <laughs> and make it into a parking lot and then and it'd be fine. It'd be able to get out. Uh, yeah. But it is one of those, I mean, it's, it's difficult because, you know, if you were to, no, we're, you know, we're going back, to, you know, we're going back to like 2003 public inquiries here. But, you know, it's not, it's not the, it's not the ideal spot for a stadium transport wise. But, you know, well, I think it's we've got to the point now where, to be honest, if the worst thing we're whinging about is, is, is transport away from the ground at the end of the game, um, then we're doing all right. But. I mean, you've got to you've got to have thought the club at some point will have approached Network Rail and gone, look, we've got Premier League money. Can we can we give a little bit here to upgrade the infrastructure so that we can have twelve car trains instead of whatever it is, three or four, if you're lucky. Um, uh, it doesn't matter, especially because yeah. it's a privatized system. You think that I mean. Just- just Steven's throw right. money, throw money <laughs> at them. Like, I mean, we need like a Simpsons monorail, right? I mean, this is like, <laughs> this is going to solve it. A monorail literally going. Bring in a monorail way. guy. Yeah, I would yeah. love a Simpsons monorail. I would use it every time. Do you think get signed off doing it? Oh, yeah, out area of outstanding natural beauty. Just pop a little monorail just, on it. Just camouflage yeah. it. It'd be fine. Yeah, yeah. Paint it green. It'll be yeah, fine. green at <laughs> all. Run it on chip fat or whatever. Yeah, it's um, all right. But it is, I mean, it is, a, I mean, I think there will be a lot of people, I mean, I think Josh is right, there'll be a certain element of people who it's just ingrained in them for whatever reason that they're going to leave early. And, you know, they're just, you kind of forget about that. But there will be people who are leaving early. It's not their, cho- you know, they're leaving early because they've balanced it up and gone. But this I is re- when we're winning in the, as you say, the first, this is a, this yeah. is an historic occasion. We're winning. It's yeah. not like it's a we're down five. No, one. no, I know. It, this is and the weather was <laughs> the weather was nice too. By the way, like don't get me wrong, Athens I could understand because it was torrential downpours and I stood in that rain for an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have never felt so ill in my life after standing in that rain, literally just post COVID. I get it. Like, but the, it was a really lovely night. Like there was no need to rush to avoid rain this that and the other like you're gonna get back in the same amount of time regardless almost unless you really do manage to like sprint and be there on that very first train if you're not there could be two cancelled after it we saw it we see it yeah you've you've got no benefit then it's all you're right it's a total gamble on can i get on the first train otherwise um yeah i mean i like i will have no apologies for it anybody who doesn't like it can fight me i will leave villa at five one down i don't care i paid my money i've been scammed out of it and we've been beaten six one and i left at five one and i got home about 25 minutes quicker and i have no apologies for that two new up at home in europa league however does four time to the four-time european (laughs) champion like if you're leaving a if you're leaving a five one six one drubbing early, if you're leaving just any of those sort of games when you go all the way up north and you've been battered four 0 and it's to, and the team have looked pathetic, I can understand walking yeah, yeah. out. I really can. Um, I remember going to Crew years and years ago, and like I feel like seventy five percent of the of the fans walked out, and I think it was Mark McGee's last or second to last game before the whole like just 
insurrection internal. The only time I've nearly done it was West Ham away. We ended up losing 6-0 under Poyet and we were 3-0 down after 12 minutes. And I was like, this is, you know, I was like, the seat in the pub that we've just left will still be warm at this point. Like, let's, <laughs> we, could, we could do this. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's only ever really when you're getting absolutely battered and there's some good reason for doing it. But like, I mean, if you can't stay at the end of the game and lap up beating Ajax in a competitive game and not beating them, like they've just, they've not laid a glove on us. Like, what, what are you even doing? Like, what, what are you going to enjoy? I mean, like, if you're not going to stay after that game and yeah. soak that up, like, I mean, uh, I know, would I mean, Gu- I know bring back Gully's girls at the end. Maybe that'd make a difference. Maybe that'd be it. I mean, I know someone <laughs> who left. I know someone who left the Wigan promotion game before the end. Highly controversial take. Almost lost my headphones. Uh, <laughs> the absolute chauvinism and sexism on display to want to have uh, a bunch of cheerleaders back. Anyway, a word from our sponsor. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's um, let's move on before we get to Fulham uh, because we're going down into dangerous territory. Uh, so uh, for the twenty three twenty four season, uh, Together BHA is sponsored by Green King Sport, uh, where football is more than a game. Uh, Green King sports venues are showing every televised Brighton fixture over the course of the season. Um, So instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and get down to your local Green King pub and get closer to the action. Uh, This season, Green King have launched the Green King Sport Instagram page, uh, which is going to be the home to fan content, uh, deals and competition throughout the season. They've already given away Champions League final tickets and signed shirts. So it's not something you really want to miss out on. Uh, especially as our foray into Europe continues, uh, there is a very good chance that there may well be competitions for tickets away to wherever you want to go, really. So drop them a follow on on Instagram. Uh, You won't just be the first to know about all this. You'll be helping us out uh, together, BHA, as well, uh, as we're also trying to grow our Instagram content in case Elon pulls the plug on whatever fake website he's got created these days with stupid alphabet names. So... Moving on to stupid uh, rich owners, Tony Khan and Fulham came to the Amex this weekend and uh, they have become a bit of a Premier League bogey team. No wins in six uh, at all since coming into the Premier League. And uh, they're not particularly very good, are they? Um, And the game itself wasn't particularly very good. Uh, But let's talk about it because we've got to. This is what we do. So... A couple of changes. Uh, I think it was six in the end uh, to the starting lineup. Adam Lalana in, Ferguson in, Beleba in, Dahoud in, uh, Webster in as well. Um, but the biggest change of all, one to really talk about, three at the back, boys. We've talked about this a number of times, the fact that he did do this at Sassuolo on occasion um, for decently extended periods. And we were all a little bit perplexed as to why it's never just rolled one out uh, well Sunday against Fulham he did uh, Igor at left centre back Dunkey in the middle and Adam Webster at the right side Adingra and Mitoma very much playing winger not wing back uh, this was no Potter three at the back this was very much a deserving version of it uh, obviously we're going to found the whole 90 here on this opinion but what did you two make of that three at the back formation what did you like what didn't you like? Would you like to see it going forward? 
what are your thoughts, feelings, concerns on all of this? Well, do you want to talk about VAR for 30 minutes or 45 minutes just before we get into the lineups? Bruce? I need to block some time out. No, I, we, uh, yeah, we will get to that, unfortunately. I don't uh, want to. I don't do want to talk about I don't want to talk about any of it. I think that the, the lineup was weird. But I'll be honest with you, for the first 20 minutes, I was just looking at it and I was just saying, I don't really understand what formation we're playing. Like obviously I got that it was three at the back, but normally you're playing three at the back with two wing backs. We were just basically playing three at the back, and then everyone else was just pushed up. It was we were playing the most aggressive three at the back formation I, I've seen in recent memory. Um, it was just gung-ho. Uh, now, I don't want to go back and now think, oh, you know what, because of the result and what happened, it didn't work. Because obviously we did switch to four partway through the game as well. We went back to a bit more of a traditional setup at one point. It it worked. What didn't work was, was some of the execution at the other end of the pitch. But we were dominating Fulham. Fulham were nowhere for, for most of that first half. So to say that it wasn't a good idea and it didn't work, I think was fine. And let's face it, what else is Deserby going to do at this point? With the, You can only put players in certain positions based on what we've got left. And he clearly didn't feel like we had the right people with the right level of fitness to play a four at the back for 90 minutes. And I don't think it was a disaster. The first half was not a disaster at all. Um, and spoiler alert ahead of time here, I thought Igor was absolutely phenomenal. Um, despite a lot of other deficiencies we had in that game, he looks like the, uh, the part for me. Uh, and as Mikey has said, Webster seemed to play well. I think if you actually re- weirdly want to talk about a slight weak point in the defensive line that we had, it was probably Lewis Dunk, bizarrely. Um, but I-, I thought that I thought it worked really well. It worked for the personnel. Yeah, I mean, agreed. I, I didn't hate it as a concept. And, you know, if we were... I mean, it's a cup. I'm not going to come on to it. I mean, it, it's either it's either a second goal or a competent refereeing decision away from working. Yeah, simple as that, really. Yeah, I didn't hate yeah. it. Echo, but Igor was great. I'd echo I thought he was amazing. Um, Brit, I didn't. I thought Brit, Webster, Brit loves Webster him was too. all right. So. Watch out, because he's a pretty attractive man, isn't he? Like, he's, he's I don't like, even think she's even looked at his face yet. She's just like he's massive, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm. Not. Yeah, that's all. You, it's all <laughs> yeah, it's all you need. Yeah, it's just uh, like he sticks out like a sore thumb as well. Like it's just so big. Like he just bodies people out of the way, and it makes me tidy going forward. Time. He was yeah, I mean, that's, a big part of the He likes goal. to go forward too. I mean, it's the da- it's the Dan Byrne theory, isn't it? Of fullbacks, like you can kind of see why Zerbi's maybe gone. I can't pick this bloke at fullback because he's just massive. Yeah, but he's, he looks right. really comfortable on the ball. Um, you know, he I had no no concerns. But yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm with Adam. I don't want to talk about anything else to do with the Fulham game because. You know, <laughs> well, played. there's only one other thing I think that's worth talking about, which we will get. Ferguson's finish was stunning. Oh yeah. Um, Definitely. But and he needed a goal, right? I hadn't scored Toilet. a castle game, I don't think. Yeah. And it's so. been the, uh, it's been, I think it's the second or second time this season, but I think it's the third time he's done it. The sheer power he gets with a precision type FIFA-esque finesse finish from outside of the box. Oh, it's yeah. just, oh. I've never seen anything like that. No, I know not people, many people, a lot people of people, do that. I know a lot do compare him to, baby Kane, basically the people that are like absolutely loving life about him. Um, 
and thinking he's going to be like the next big thing, right? But uh, like I've, I've I've not seen Kane whip one of those in those low no, driven I mean, that, but also finesse goal. Like I've never, <laughs> feels like a cheat goal. His second goal against Newcastle was the one that was just perfect, and it took literally everybody in the stadium by surprise. Yep. I'm, it's 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 such an important skill to have. I mean, it will become it will become more difficult for him because people will anticipate the danger more and will arguably try and defend against him in a different way. But he's probably good enough that he can just swap them aside and do it anyway. But loving the t- I mean, technique wise, it's you know it's flawless, isn't it? Yeah, it was outrageous. Um, the equaliser. We fell victim a little bit to the classic Albion mantra of not just booting it the F away. Uh, there was several times where it was just like, just yeet it, get rid of it. Um, and eventually it fell to, to Paulinho, who, fair play, great goal, well hit. But Is it fair, is it fair play, though? Well, no, that's, that's the unfortunate part, right? So let's revert back to where we were always going to end up for the majority of this review. Uh, the fact that Paulinho's finish, although excellent, should never have existed because he should never have been on the pitch. Uh, can anybody explain to me how VAR checked that and considered it fair and normal and a non-issue of a challenge? Because we've seen a couple of just shocking VAR calls uh, this weekend alone. Um, where they took five, literally five minutes to make a VAR call that still wasn't 100% sure. Yeah. And at that point, you can't be sure, right? If you've took five minutes over something on an offside call, your call is not going to be a short one. You've, yeah. You literally cannot. Um, and I think they took another three and a half minutes in the Newcastle game for a penalty call that should never... And they got it wrong. Um, yeah. This one... All of 0.3 seconds. Check. Uh, how is Paulinho on the pitch? I mean, I was I was coming back in the car, so I was sort of listening to updates on the radio at this point. So I didn't see it live, but the the guy that they went on the radio station to the to the guy who was at the game covering it, and he summed it up pretty well, which is that he said it would have been a red card in the Rugby World Cup final the day before. <laughs> like, I've watched it from Craig's tweet, you know, I've watched it a dozen times and it's one of the most obvious red cards I think I've ever seen, like ever in any game at any level. How it's not, I mean, it's like, you can see he's look, it's the classic, because in these situations, what you have is you have to go, does it, does he know where the other player is? Like, is he jumping? Is it, you know what I mean? Is it, he's caught him by accident and he just doesn't know where the player is that you can see him take a little look to see where Pascal Gross is. Like it's, what are they watching? There's three, there's only three conclusions that you can draw. One, they saw it and they're just so unbelievably corrupt that they decided, nah, not for me, mate. Allegedly. Two, they're just not very good at their job. But anyone who's been watching football longer than about three seconds would know that that's not acceptable on a football pitch. 
let alone someone who's probably spent decades getting to the point of being a referee or a VAR in the Premier League. Or three, they didn't watch see it. Go on. Or three, they didn't see it. And they're watching something else. It's, uh, it's unexplainable. I've watched this replay about 50 times, but I want to watch it now to just bring the anger back. Um, <laughs> and he's just, the thing is, he's, he's gross turned him, isn't he? Yeah. And it, so he's, he's, he's duped him and then fully elbowed him in the face. Yeah. Uh, but, but you're right. I don't normally in these scenarios, you'd be like, okay, well, okay, corruption. Yeah. yeah oh, okay. Probably not the corruption. Let's take off the tinfoil hats, like whatever. Okay. But, so normally you'd be like, it's probably the simplest version of events that they're just shit at their jobs. But I don't know how a level of incompetence can be this high, not just at a job, but just providing you have eyes. Uh, to, to, to see this right because even if you've got no if you've never watched football before if you've never seen it and you're just like all right five-year-old kid have a look at this do you think this is allowed in the game and they'd probably be like well no that doesn't seem okay anyone with a semi-functioning brain and even i would say partial vision like I would say, like if it, maybe you need the super thick lenses, and no judgments here. Like the really big ones, maybe you've got one eye. The depth isn't there. You would still, still send him off every single day of the week. I just, I cannot fathom. Not just they're not. I don't think they're corrupt. I don't think they're corrupt. I think they're bad at their jobs, but this is beyond the pay. That's why I say beyond to, bad at the job. Not they have to have not actually looked at it. That's just what they did. They're playing like snake on the shining age here. But what someone, they must be like doing gone, something. Oh yeah, you've got a decision to make, and they've just gone. Oh yeah, check. Yeah, mate, it's probably fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, he's doing bothered. something else. He mu- they I must mean, be doing something else. Gone. It's, it's, it's not in either box. Can't be that important. A chest. Like it's it is unbelievable. Um, and I'm with you. Like you don't even need to know the rules of the game. It's like a basic: can you elbow someone in the face in pretty much any contact sport and get away with it? Certainly not oh, outside of the ring. Paulinho was a rat the rest of the game as well. By the way, like not yeah. just that particular moment. He is a ratty little player, um, and it's just. I know you can never, in these situations, it's very hard to be like, well, if the right decision was made, we would have won the game. Because you can never, you never know that. But I tell you what, in this particular instance, I uh, well, I would bet a lot of money because he's literally the guy that scored the goal. So it's, you know, not, it's just... not even that. Like, if we'd have won that game 1-0, right, we're still talk- we'd still be talking about that not being a red card. When you get unanimous support from every fan base of any club, even the club you're facing, saying it was a very clear red card and most people saying it was actually probably like a multi-game ban offence, like you know something bizarre has occurred. I just, but the, I, I still don't, I, I can't comprehend the fact that you, you've got everyone's shirt sponsor is sponsored by a gambling company. You've got people whose livelihoods depend on all this, this, this happening and these stupid decisions made by a bunch of merry dickheads that don't know what they're doing. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a farce. It's a farce. Like you can't allow this to happen. If anyone else did their jobs, 
this badly with this level of incompetence, um, you'd probably have to be in the Tory government. But like, what is what is Howard Webb's ex? Because like, he comes out, you know, they either release the audio, he comes out and gives some explanation. Like, what is going to be his explanation for that? Oh yeah, they looked at that and they decided blatant assault is now in the laws of the game. I. I mean, they've got. What do you think, right? Josh? Like, I want to. I'm. I'm eagerly awaiting to hear what these refs have made of it. Your Mike Deans that are like now like soaking in the spotlight for their like corporate checks and stuff. Like, I can't wait to see what they all say about it. Um, because I need. I need to hear what nonsense they're going to come out with to protect this one because they always do, right? They always find a way, and this one is so, so uniquely obnoxious in the challenge that was made. Uh, I mean, it wasn't even a challenge, right? Like, it was just an assault. And, like, it was just bad. So I just can't wait to hear how they inevitably spin it. Um, I do love that Garth Crooks put Paulina in his team of the week this week, uh, which really just summarizes how keen these guys are to just totally pretend these things don't happen. His name seems fairly apt, doesn't it? Crooks, yeah. I, but it's, this is, to me, this is worse than the Liverpool decision with the VAR screw-up. Because at least there, even though it was absolutely madness and you could be like, okay, what are you doing, you idiots? Like, you can at least understand how the communication breakdown happened. And you then like, okay, hold on. Well, the guy thought he was affirming a decision rather than changing the outcome of it and they got confused god these people are incompetent and stupid but at least we can understand it and maybe they can fix that in the future this is just pure like idiocy like there's no like oh you know what maybe they said the wrong thing no this is just a guy yeah the check is clear don't don't worry about it well did you how could how can you not like pause how can you not just get the guy to like even take a moment they cleared it within five seconds i don't understand What's the point? What is the point? Because, like, if decision, but if decisions like that are going to get missed, then genuinely, what's the point? Yeah, game's gone. And like I say, I'll only reiterate that it's not even. This is not. This is has no bearing on the result, other than the fact, obviously, he scored the goal. Even if if it's if he doesn't score the goal, it's still one one, or indeed we win the game. The level of discussion is still the same. This is not a sour grapes. We didn't win the game. He scored the goal discussion. It's, you know, no, if we weren't won the good game, enough. No, but if we'd have won the game 5 0 and he didn't get sent off and that still happens to Pascal Gross, we're still talking about it. Yep. But you know, it's, and it's, it's hardly cropped up in any of the media reports. That's what's that, that is what is shocking to me. Like, match that's... of the day mentioned it. It got mentioned on match of the day too, fairly briefly. But the other match reports that I've kind of skimmed through, The Guardian, who are normally very good on our games particularly, um, not mention of it as far as I could see. Why is that? Just not, not, not uh, big enough know. of a deal? Maybe not. People are bored of it? Probably column, you know, it's not, you know, it's not enough. You know, if that game, if that happens in the Manchester derby, then, you know, it's getting talked about everywhere. And that's not even a, it's not even a kind of, we're not in the top six. You know, it's just Brian against Fulham, you know, it's not going to, it's probably not getting the column inches that other games are getting. Um, yeah. But still, you know, in a game where relatively not much happened 
outside of there. But, you know, it's not like it was a game packed full of incidents and this, pardon the pun, got elbowed out. Um, you know, there's not much beyond the two goals. This is the only other thing that you talk about. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's baffling. Um, it, it really is. Uh, yeah. I, don't I, really, I genuinely don't think we'll get an explanation from Howard Webb and the gang because I don't see how they can give any explanation that doesn't make them look like they just don't know what they're doing. Because, like, what what explanation can you go, oh, actually, you know, we thought it was a, a fair challenge or we thought it was accidental. Like, that would be what you... The best that they could come up with is they go, oh, we thought it was accidental. That is literally all that... That is all they can come out and say. But it's just so patently not. I know. Because he, led, know. he led with it. Yeah, like, I know, It was I know. just so... But I think that is the only that option. All they can, that, is the only, that is the only thing that they could... That that's the only thing they could come out with. Even though it doesn't make sense, that's the only thing they could come out with that in theory would make sense. But even then, to to take that conclusion, is clearly not right. But what else? What else can you say? Like, Sorry, we've employed a bunch of dipshits. Like, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, it's just I can't even be that. I. It's it's such a it's such a bad decision. I can't even be that angry about it, just because it's 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 just like it's it's laughable more than anything else. And of course, he scores the winner though. That's the that, and that's the thing, right? Of course, he's the one that scores the peach, and yeah, he's the most important player to that team. You remove him from the thing, we probably cruise to a little three niller, lovely, yeah. tidy little win. Move on. Yep. everyone's happy but no it, it's it's a shot it's just even what can be what do they have to look at the, the owners or the fan groups just have to like create some like union and march on like like i don't i don't know what you're what you can actually do what can you do it's quite it is weird though isn't it that brighton and wolves after last year having both won the apology league together and now continuing to run away with that lead again this year. Like that makes me think that there's more than just being dumb. That makes me think that not tinfoil hat levels, but I think there is an unconscious bias situation but going on. You know what it also but I don't, I don't know what that, why that would even like Brighton and Wolves are nothing fucking like each other. <laughs> like, no, but also, because, yeah. like, I think it's because we I think it's because we don't kick up as much of a fuss about it. Because you know, every time we've had this thing, but it's come out and you know, we've gone, you know, basically we've accepted the apology, blah blah blah. You know, like Jurgen Klopp's out there demanding games being replayed. You know what I mean? Like we're not considering how much we've been on the end of stuff like this, and I'm not suggesting the club necessarily go to that level, but we seem to take the decisions annoyingly in like an adult way that you kind of want the club to do you'd want them to be grown up about it but when the impact is actually maybe we need to be taking more of a stand about it a more vocal stand about it because every time you're nice about it then where's the incentive for them to do something yeah. else different in the future they go oh no brighton will be fine about it you know? this was uh peter banks as well as the var uh 
in this year he's only been a VAR. This is his, this is his specialty. I know. <laughs> this is Mr. VAR. This is all he does. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's whatever. I do. What else can we say? No, there's nothing. Stupid. I mean, we can talk about. Yeah, we can talk about this for for hours, and you know, there's nothing else to say. No one wins here. No. No, not no, not at all. Um, but I mean, the only people that win really are the Premier League, isn't it? Because they get people talking about it, and they think that the idea is probably any press is good press, right? Uh, any attention is good attention. Um, keeps people talking. Uh, talking about bad attention. Uh, Everton next weekend. Um, very very patchy team. Uh, lost win, lost win, lost win in their last six. Um, nice and consistent from Sean Dyche and the team. Um, obviously, the last time we played them, uh, they absolutely dicked us. Uh, 5-1? Or was it 5-2? 5-1, I think. Um, and really was a precursor to the West Ham drubbing we also got this year and the Villa one we got this year as well. Uh, they were the architects of our destruction for three games, really. They are not a good team. Um, but neither were Fulham. That didn't stop them anyway. Uh, sitting on 10 points from 10 games, uh, three wins, one draw, six losses. Um, they are basically only where they are uh, due to the fact that they're actually half decent away from home. Their home form is absolutely shocking. My cat just launched a plug on the floor for no reason at all. Um, they have won one, lost four at Goodison. Um what are we thinking here? Do you think we'll stick with the three or do you think we put Liverpool favourite James Milner at left back again? What are, what are we thinking here to wrap the pod up as to what? No, think I think one of, like? I think one of Purvis or Lamptey is going to be fit. Okay. Especially, they especially are both close. Yeah. Especially with there being no midweek game here. I think one of them is going to be fit for that game. And I suspect the one who's not fit will then be fit for the Ajax game. So I'm expecting not. I'm expecting there not to be James Milner, and if there will, if he is in there, I'll be going for a walk for an hour and fifty minutes, and then coming back. Funny enough, that's what he'll be doing for the most part. As well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Everton are crap, uh, and I know they've won, as you said. They, but look, there's as we said, no winner in the VAR conversation. There's no, there's no winner in a Dyche versus Moyes game. And that is like the, the, the thing, anti-football game that there possibly could be West Ham versus Everton. They still, stats-wise, even though West Ham lost, they had 64% possession. Um, but in the entire game, there were six shots on target. Like the, this, these, those were just, just pitiful teams slamming the ball. Let's not forget, Everton lost at home to Luton. Yeah, cannot you cannot lose to that team? I think they got their wins against what Brentford away or when Brentford were in their really really nasty like bleak. Patch. Yeah, that horrible patch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who else did they get a victory against? Bournemouth. Like whoop, big whoop about that. The, 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 this is not a good team. The side they they put out against West Ham, despite getting a win, was pathetic. Um, I mean, Calvert Lewin just had one of his days where he was. Yeah, just, and that's it. Like they're playing Nathan Patterson, 
Didn't know he was a footballer. Mikalenko, rubbish. Branthwaite, rubbish. Dwight McNeil, rubbish. Jack Harrison, James Garner. These are just sub... This is bottom-tier fodder yeah, relegation this, side. where they are. I mean, They're the not good thing, enough. The only thing it will be... It'll obviously be their first home game since Bill Kenwright died. So that will be the only... Whether there's some kind of, you know... Momentum. work for Man U with Bobby Charlton. Yeah, it's whether they get some kind of momentum from that scenario. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Rest in it peace, also, it, we absolutely smash them. So. It also it will have been quite far long ago. Like, it's already been... It will yeah, have been, been two, and, two and a half weeks by that Yeah, point. two and a half so, weeks. I mean, if they couldn't put any decent performances in whilst he was actually there watching it, then what chance have they got when he's not? It's, <laughs> you know... Yeah. No, we we should we should be, we should be expecting we should be expecting yeah. three points against Everton. We should be expecting three points against Ajax. We should be expecting three points against Sheffield United. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm going to go. I yeah. It's 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 a minimum seven seven to nine seven to nine points, isn't it? Yep, I agree. All right, fellas. Love it. Right. Love a little Monday afternoon chat. So we will be back. Oh, Adam. I've is- got one more thing that you don't want to discuss. It's one last brief bit, but people are mouthing off and the knives have come out for Facundo Buenanote. Have you seen all this stuff? No. Yeah. I thought he yeah. played well at Central. Nah, when he everyone's saying Central, he's not good he enough well. and he needs to go online. That's the, that's the latest online on the internet. I think, I, mean, I think he would, I think without, I think if we hadn't been in Europe, he would have gone out online. So uh, I'm not agreeing yeah. with the criticism. I'm just saying I think a loan I think a loan move probably would have been. Yeah, yeah. and I think if Enciso was fit, he probably yeah. also wouldn't be have a look in either. I think and I think playing well. Yeah. But he's not I mean he's a young it's another one, he's eighteen. You know, what are people expecting? Exactly. But he's uh, yeah. really good enough. I mean he's been in the full Argentina squad, hasn't he? But so. you've got March and Enciso injured. He as there's you he wouldn't probably have much game time at no. all, would you? But I don't I don't think I think it's fair to say that he's probably not a player that you're confident starting at the moment. He's not delivering necessarily particularly well off the bench, but we've also got very high standards of what our youngsters yeah. can do. But at the same time, again, he shouldn't really be expected to be doing we're but, playing him out of necessity. Like, when else are you gonna blood him though? I mean, it's not like, you know, these games with like Ajax, you're already 2-0 up, the game's already done. Yeah. You know, like these are the games to give him a chance in. Yeah, agreed. Otherwise, you get into this circle, you go, but he's not, he's rubbish, he's not playing. But then when, when is, like, when is the fan base happy for him to play? Because to be honest, there's no point playing in the third round game against a championship team. Great, you know, he'll get minutes out of it, but what's he going to benefit in terms of getting used to playing against the quality of player that he's got to play against every week in the Premier League? You've got to be picking the moments to give him games against Ajax. You know, it's the same thing. Like, you either, with Deserby, you either trust him to do the right thing or you don't. You can't cherry pick instances where you think he's got it right or got it wrong. Like, he he is going to be using him when he thinks it's best. And that's good enough for me. Yeah. And who for else does he worth, bring on? For what it's worth, I thought I thought he was very good in the middle. In the middle. I can, under, I can understand the lack of excitement seeing him roll out at right wing. Um, because I feel it too. He doesn't feel like he's really going to perform 
any miracle out there. He doesn't have the pace first and foremost, right? Like he's not, he's not a rap. He's not an Adingra, right? Or in Bitoma where he can just burst past players. No. Um, and he's not, he's not yet a Grealish type player that has the technique levels to be able to send someone one way or the other or Pascal Gross even, right? Like where the gross term buys him enough time to make a delivery into the box. Um, he, he was dubbed like, one of the next best things in Argentina by Messi and Tevez, I think. And both of them, you know, talked about his time in Argentina. And when he played there, he played more behind the striker. Like he played more in the Messi role, right? Like the 10, the classic 10. Um, and for the 15 minutes I saw him play there against Ajax, I actually thought he was very good. But I also am very cognizant of the fact that Ajax are absolutely dog shit. So what does that mean? Like, I don't know. Um, and when you've got Ferguson, you've got a Dinger, uh, you've got Ferguson, you've got Pedro, and you've got Fatty all capable of playing down the middle. Where does where does that you know what I mean? Like where do his times come in? Like he's gonna have to be a bit part player. And when you're playing Mitoma and a Dingra for 90 minutes almost, for three games in a week, it's obvious that we're going to need to bring on people to replace the wide players it's not his fault he's not as good out wide yeah uh, and and just to add some more context to it it coming on in the fulham game if we want to use that one as the one where people started raising concerns uh you were switching from a three at the back at this particular moment he came on in the 70th minute you've just conceded the equalizer uh five minutes prior you do a triple substitution i think on came billy gilmore on came joe uh, joel veltman you change yeah. your shape entirely yeah. Um, you wanted to keep Evan Ferguson out there for a bit longer to see if he got one more chance. And by the way, at some point, maybe next week, we should talk about how we really aren't getting enough touches to the, the forward position, regardless of who's playing there. I think he had about 26 touches the whole game, Evan Ferguson. Um, but so you're bringing on Jao Pedro in a bit for Evan Ferguson when you decide you want to make that change. Here are your other options off the bench. So for the people that are hating on Buena Notte, who, who do you want to bring on here? Bart Verbruggen, probably not going to do much of a job on the right wing. Um, our boy James Milner. Not sure we want to see that one. Uh, Jean Paul Van Hecker. Can you do a job on right out on the wing? Uh, or Jack Hinshelwood, which, if you're not particularly happy with players in their teenage years not necessarily doing a lot, um, well, there's another one, and Hinshelwood tends to play a bit deeper anyway in the, in the middle. So, what else are you going to do? <laughs> there's yeah. no one else <laughs> no and it's also the same fan it's also the same element that would probably be really annoyed if a player got played so much that they then got injured yeah it's just it's just content for content's sake people want to yeah. make 50 cents for me on muscle but it's like you need to it's that chicken and egg scenario so in an ideal world he'd have had a lone move and he'd be playing every week circumstances have dictated that that's not happened okay so the next best scenario is you need to give him minutes where you can yep yep all right, fellas. Good chat. Uh, yeah, be be nice to Facundo. He's not, you know, he's getting there. Chill out. Um, yeah. We'll be back next week uh, to cover Everton. Could be one of the most miserable podcasts ever, or a nice one. We really don't know. Um, that, that's the tagline. But it's going to be yes. so. It's going to be so grim if we lose. It's going to be a very very quick podcast. Um, so yeah, I don't even want to contemplate it to be honest. I'm just gonna no, nah, that's not gonna happen. Listen, um, positive, so, positive vibes only. Yep, yeah, we will see you all next week post Everton to discuss the outrageous victory. 
um and uh, have a good rest of your week uh, enjoy your halloween if you're celebrating uh, enjoy your bonfire night if you're celebrating that and uh, have a good one cheers all